Hi everybody, this is Ebing, and you are listening to Limbo Land. From 1946 to 1948, the U.S. Public Health Service conducted STD experiments in Guatemala on several vulnerable populations, including prisoners, soldiers, and psychiatric patients, without their consent. The truth of the study was not uncovered until 2010. How did this happen? I remember learning about the Tuskegee syphilis study, which was the textbook case of what not to do in research, way back in high school, then again in college, and again in medical school. And although the study in Guatemala was conducted after the start of the Tuskegee study in 1930, it seems that they were quite related. How did the experiments in Guatemala come about and why were they so interested in studying STDs during that time? To answer some of these questions, I am joined by Dr. Kate Spector-Baghdadi. She was the Associate Director of the Presidential Commission for the Study of Bioethical Issues under President Obama. The Guatemala and the Tuskegee experiments were very related. Mm -hmm. And not only were they related, but they had a lot of the same researchers. So it was a small community of men in the public health service that did research on syphilis. And there was enough syphilis at the time that you could specialize in syphilology. So Dr. Cutler, who is the main researcher on the ground in Guatemala, was also an investigator in the Tuskegee syphilis experiments. And that's actually how we ended up rediscovering the Guatemala experiments because Susan Reverby, who's at Wellesley University, was writing a book on the Tuskegee syphilis experiments and went to go read the personal files of one of the smaller investigators on Tuskegee, who was Dr. John Cutler. And what she found were 26 boxes of documents that were all devoted to the same study, which wasn't Tuskegee, it was Guatemala. At the time in the 1920s and 30s, so we've got world wars, Mm -hmm. right? And in particular during World War II, one of the major problems during World War II was men being put out of service, not because they had been shot or injured, but because they had gonorrhea. Because we didn't yet know, and we didn't know until 1943, that penicillin cures syphilis, and penicillin can be used for many of these things. So when the public health service, Dr. John Mahoney, discovered in 1943 that penicillin cures syphilis, they wanted to immediately transition to how to prevent the acquisition of STDs in the first place. Mm-hmm. So at the time, during, the, during World War II, U.S. armed ser- uh, servicemen would get something called a pro-kit, and it was a prophylactic kit. And so they were post-exposure prophylactics, and it was a zinc-based ointment that the men were supposed to rub on themselves after intercourse. And so you can imagine that it wasn't particularly appealing for the servicemen to get up immediately after intercourse and cover themselves in zinc oxide. (laughs) So they didn't do it very often. So they were looking for a more effective post-exposure prophylactic. According to John Cutler, there was a gentleman by the name of Dr. Juan Funes who came up from Guatemala City, Guatemala for a fellowship at the Public Health Service in New York, the Venereal Disease Research Laboratory. 
and they were talking about how to design an experiment to test post-exposure prophylactics. And one thing that's really challenging about designing, you know, sexual intercourse post-exposure prophylactic studies is it's hard to control people's sex lives. So allegedly, Dr. Cutler said that Dr. Funes suggested that they hold the experiments in Guatemala City, Guatemala, because sex work was legal in the prison system there with the idea being that they could conduct controlled quote-unquote natural experiments where they would have the male prisoners have intercourse with female sex workers who had STDs and they could figure out whether they could prevent it. So that was the goal of the experiment was to improve prophylactic methods for the U.S. Armed Services. Mm -hmm. Was the connection with Dr. Funes the main reason why the researchers chose Guatemala for these experiments? Yeah, so that's what Cutler wrote in his final report, was that the reason they went down there was because of this connection with Funes. Of course, it's more complicated than that because... We know from the history of experimentation in this country and some very similar experiments that the same group of men conducted in a federal prison in Terre Haute, Indiana, that there are much higher standards for informed consent and for minimizing risks and burdens to participants in the U.S. You know, Cutler claimed that the only reason they went down there to Guatemala was because Dr. Funes suggested it, but certainly there were myriad reasons having to do with the vulnerability of populations and um, sort of xenophobia. I mean, there was a lot going on, more than just Mm -hmm. it was an easy place to go. Right. You mentioned Terre Haute, Indiana. I remember reading that before the researchers went to Guatemala, they actually studied gonorrhea in prisoners who were in Terre Haute, Indiana, but that the study had failed. Well, so there were slight, there were different experimental designs. In Terre Haute, Indiana, they weren't using sex workers. It was a gonorrhea experiment, and they were manually putting pus onto essentially toothpicks and inserting it into the men's penises. And one of the things that they found was that it's actually harder to transmit STDs than they thought in sort of a controlled experimental design. As you can imagine, if you're trying to test the effectiveness of a post-exposure prophylactic and no one's getting an STD to begin with, you can't measure how much better the prophylactic is than nothing. Also, that's not how people get gonorrhea, is by sticking a toothpick in their penis. You can question sort of the utility of the information to know that a post-exposure prophylactic is effective, so it's effective against toothpicks which is not necessarily helpful scientific information. So there were a lot of problems in the Terre Haute study that then continued in the Guatemala study. However, one of the things that the Terre Haute study did was that they spent a lot of time in consternation. There were lots of letters written about making sure that they got fully informed consent from the men in Terre Haute, who were largely white American men. And that was not only not considered in Guatemala, there were actually letters back and forth talking about why would they bother to get informed consent? It would only confuse the people in the prison. Or Cutler's supervisors, Dr. Arnold, wrote to him and said, you know, I have serious concerns um, because the men in the 
the people who are in the psychiatric institution can't give informed consent, like some of the other populations that you're considering might be, but, you know, maybe I'm worrying too much. And really what they were the most worried about was that they were going to get in trouble Mm -hmm. as opposed to that they were going to hurt people. They started out trying to do the whole, you know, sexual intercourse, how STDs are normally spread, but turns out that also did not work as well as they hoped it would. Yeah, exactly. So they started, so Dr. Juan Funes, the one who had gotten the fellowship, was also the director of the public health service down in Guatemala City. And sex work was legal and highly regulated. Sex workers had to report to the public health department twice a week for STD testing. So normally, under normal circumstances, they would get it tested, and if they were found not to have STDs, they would get their license back and they could continue their job. But for the experimental design, what then happened is if women came in and they were found to carry an STD, so gonorrhea or syphilis, Juan Funes would refer them to Dr. Cutler in the prison, which was just down the road, and he would use them in his experiments. However, when they found that they weren't transmitting STDs effectively, Dr. Cutler started doing what he called super infection of the women and would actually fill them with pus or inject sort of emulsified syphilitic fluids Mm -hmm. into their cervix before intercourse with the men. And then that still didn't work. They still didn't have enough power to do effective STD experiments. So that's when he started to move on to just manually infecting the men himself. Did the women who he infected with this, did they know what they were being injected with or exactly what was going on when it was happening? So there's unfortunately not a lot of data we have relevant to the women's experiences. We don't really know what they thought or knew. Certainly getting some sort of pelvic exam or manipulation before performing their work would have been abnormal. I'm not entirely sure what the team told them was happening, although considering they were lying to all the other subjects, I assume they were also lying to them. The other thing that we know is that while about half of the participants in the STD experiments received some form of treatment for the STD that they were exposed to, we don't have records for any of the sex workers Mm -hmm. receiving any sort of treatment. That's really unfortunate. You were talking about how sexual intercourse really did not work well, And they moved on to a more direct method of trying to inoculate these men with gonorrhea or syphilis. The different diseases, they expose men different ways. So the gonorrhea was they would actually take pus from one man who was in the infirmary with gonorrhea and insert it into another man. They were not only evolving in what STDs they were testing and how invasively they were testing them, they were sort of evolving in the vulnerability of the populations. They involved soldiers and prisoners and then psychiatric patients. And the psychiatric patients were victim to really the most aggressive experiments. And we assume that that's because they had the least volition and autonomy of any of the different kinds of participants. And so in the psychiatric institution, Cutler also sometimes put it in people's eyes or in their rectums Mm -hmm. um, or had them swallow it. 
so some really invasive stuff. So syphilis, he exposed people to by on men, he would scratch their genitalia or their arms and he would rub in emulsion that was taken from somebody else's sore, Mm -hmm. syphilitic sore. And he would inject it into people's arms or into their genitals. And then sometimes he even injected it um, into the base of their neck. Fine. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is if syphilis is allowed to progress naturally, it eventually becomes neurosyphilis and attacks the brain. And they were trying to study neurosyphilis and sort of skip to that point of the natural progression of the disease and give people neurosyphilis directly. And then the last STD they tested on was chancroid. And um, again, with to expose, and it was just done in the psychiatric institution, and to expose them to chancroid, what he did was he, again, scratched their arms and rubbed chancroid into it. At some point, even Dr. Cutler's supervisor, Dr. Mahoney, was like, hey, maybe we should stop doing these experiments and was writing back and forth with Dr. Cutler saying that maybe we should put a halt on these experiments, but it still continued on for much longer than that. Dr. Cutler's supervisor is Dr. Mahoney, who is the director of the the venereal disease research laboratory of the public health service. And then Dr. R.C. Arnold, who is the associate director of the VDRL, expressed a lot of concerns about Cutler's methodology throughout the years he was doing it. Their primary concern was scientific, which was the, what good is it to know that the prophylactic is effective against you putting a toothpick in yourself? Because that's not what's happening. Um, And so this is not a good experimental design. But they also raised some concerns about informed consent mostly concerns about getting in trouble. They kept raising concerns, but they never stopped him. And they went down to visit, and they were in control of the money, and they never stopped. They never went down and actually sort of put themselves physically in between Cutler and these subjects. Eventually, when the grant ran out after two years, Cutler hadn't spent all the money. Often what you can do if you're an NIH-funded researcher is ask for a no-cost extension. Say, hey, I need a little more time to do the work. I don't need more money, but I need more time to finish the work. And Cutler requested that and was denied. And that was really the only moment when he was finally cut off was when his supervisor said, no, you have to stop. You have to come back. We won't give you more time to keep doing this work. The people you mentioned... Did they ever go to Guatemala and see firsthand exactly what was happening with these experiments? Yeah, so we know that they all went, that many um, of Cutler's supervisors and associates went down to visit Guatemala. There's not detailed records of exactly what they saw and did, but we get the general sense that they knew very well what was going on from the letters back and forth. And in fact, some researchers, like for example, Dr. Eagle at Johns Hopkins actually asked Cutler to add experiments for them. So one of the reasons that we know that what Dr. Cutler, we knew that Dr. Cutler knew that what he was doing was unethical was because right around the time he was conducting these experiments, there was actually like a science report in the Times about Dr. Harry Eagle's work at Hopkins. And he was doing research, syphilis research in rabbits. 
and he was doing sort of prophylactic and treatment research by injecting live syphilis into rabbits. And the scientific write-up said, of course, this would be ethically impossible to do in humans. So not only was that printed in the New York Times during the experiments, but we have a letter from Cutler back to his supervisors saying that he read that article and that if anybody knew about their work, they would get in a lot of trouble. So they were very much aware that what they were doing was wrong. And actually, ironically, when Harry Eagle found out about Cutler's research in Guatemala, he asked Cutler to do work with his strain of syphilis that he was using at Hopkins. So also didn't learn his lesson mm. from the New York Times report. Even if they got the results they wanted, and if they published these results, there will probably be a public outcry. Did they keep going because of the scientific discovery? Yeah, I, I don't know that there would have been a public outcry. That's not clear to me. Because if you think about it, the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, they published for decades in the scientific literature. And it wasn't until 1972 that they ended up getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. So there's actually a letter from one of Cutler's supervisors to Cutler saying, you know, in your final report, I see no reason to talk about where in the country the work was done, right? So there was a lot of active talk about covering up how they did it and where they did it. So I don't know that had they ever published it, they actually would have gotten in trouble, but they were either so terrified or disgusted by what had happened, they never did. And that's our theory for why Dr. Cutler donated all of his personal documents to the University of Pittsburgh where they were discovered. We probably still wouldn't know about it to this day if he hadn't done that. But he did that while he was alive. He gave all the records of this study to the University of Pittsburgh. Our working theory, at least, is that he didn't regret doing it. He didn't see anything wrong. And the only thing he regretted was not being able to publish it. And there's actually this really incredible Nova special called Deadly Deception. And it's on the Tuskegee syphilis experiments. And the only investigator who was willing to be interviewed about the Tuskegee syphilis experiments was actually Dr. Cutler. And in that interview, he said that the experiments were for the benefit of the black community. The Tuskegee study has been grossly uh, uh, misunderstood and misrepresented this way. And uh, the fact was that it was concern for the black community trying to set the stage for the best uh, public health approach possible and best therapy that uh, led to the study being carried out. It was important. They were supposedly untreated. And uh, it would be undesirable to go ahead and use large amounts of penicillin to treat other disease because you'd interfere with uh, the study. And his only regret about the Tuskegee syphilis experiments was that they ended. We were dealing with a very important study that was go going to have the, the long-term results of which were actually to improve the quality of care for the black community. So that these individuals were actually contributing to the work towards the improvement of the health of the black community rather than simply serving as merely guinea pigs for the study. And of course, I was bitterly opposed to cutting off the study for obvious reasons. My regret is in terms of the study, I have none. 
So you have every reason to believe he felt the same way about the Guatemala experiments, and that's why he contributed his documents to the University of Pittsburgh. Because he wanted them to be seen and known, and that he did this study, and it was for the greater good of the population. I think he believed to his death that he did good work. Hmm. Wow. I'm kind of speechless. Did any of the people who were experimented on pass away because they were inoculated with the gonorrhea, the syphilis, or chancroid? The commission during our investigation, we found that about 87 people had passed away during the conduct of the experiments. However, there wasn't enough information to really definitively say why people died. So usually people don't die from syphilis for decades or people don't die at all from gonorrhea necessarily unless it goes on forever and ever. But one of the things to know was that there were fairly high rates of disease in the armed services and in the prison and in the psychiatric institution. And actually, we think that probably the majority of people in the psychiatric institution didn't have psychiatric illnesses. They had sort of other kinds of neurodegenerative diseases So many of these people were very sick anyway. And also Cutler would often pick people who were dying to do some of the most invasive experiments on. I guess with the assumption that, well, they were going to be dead anyway, so who cares what we do to them, Mm -hmm. which is horrible. And often people were exposed to STDs very close to when they died. And there's no reason to think that being exposed to the STD killed them. I think it's more likely that... The scientists knew that they were dying and so involved them in the experiment. Yeah, I remember reading about this one girl who was in the psychiatric hospital, basically on the brink of death, and they went ahead and put gonorrhea on her eye, in her rectum, and then she passed away. It's pretty horrible. Mm -hmm. If Dr. Cutler never turned in any of his files, we would have never discovered that this even happened. I'm not sure if the people who worked on the study on the Guatemala side also kept those files, but kept it hidden. I just wonder what else could have happened or been swept under the rug, where people did something unethical, never published it, and just kept it hidden forever. That's a good question. So so when Susan Reverby discovered the documents about Guatemala and after she wrote about them and presented it at a national historical conference and there was a lot of interest. She then contacted Dr. David Sensor, who is the former director of CDC, to conduct sort of a preliminary investigation of the documents. Once they had done that and they established that something pretty seriously bad had happened, they contacted the president, um, then President Barack Obama, who the first day it was announced called president the president of Guatemala and apologized and Secretary of State Clinton and Secretary of Health Sibelius both also apologized, which was important because in comparison to Tuskegee syphilis studies, Mm -hmm. it took decades. It took took Clinton for an apology for the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, but President Obama apologized almost right away. And so I was on Obama's bioethics commission that was assigned the conduct of a thorough fact-finding investigation into what happened in Guatemala. And we liaised with the Guatemalan government, who also put together their own investigation committee um, that was being run by then-Vice President Rafael Espada of Guatemala. 
And in Guatemala, they keep immaculate records of everything that happens. The archives are unbelievable. And they did, in fact, find their own sort of corresponding set of records because not only did these experiments involve Guatemalan people, but they also involved some of the Guatemalan doctors and researchers and prison directors and the director of the orphanage um, were also sometimes involved in actually intentionally infecting people. So they had their own slew of documents. However, even though the U.S. provided all the documents that we had to the government of Guatemala, the government of Guatemala did not provide any of the documents that they had back to the United States. But they did end up releasing a report several months after ours, which has very extensive supplementary material. So the, the report is the same basic story that was told in the American report. But there's two big, big supplements, hundreds and hundreds of pages that include all the data, none of which sort of contradicts the American data um, or really changes the basic story. But they did do a very thorough job of releasing lots of information, although I can't independently verify whether it was all of the information. Right, right. But to your point, we don't know what we don't know, and I'm sure given our history of research ethics in this country, there are horrible things that have happened that either no one has discovered or the right person didn't discover it to know its significance. Mm -hmm. I see. 